Yo, welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation Records discography, catalog, canon. We're just talking about Revelation Records. Yeah. In chronological order. And we're once again back on track. You know, we've been taking some detours and some U turns and all kinds of crazy stuff lately. <laughs> but we're here today. To talk about what? Jay, why don't you tell the people what we're here to talk about? Revelation Records, number 36, Iceburns, Poetry of Fire, EP. This is now the third time that we're talking, talking to Gentry Densley, right? Yeah. Uh, Greg, is this the last time we're talking to Gentry? No, there's a, uh, they have a double LP closer to i think it's like might even be rev 49 um that's correct meta evolutions and then um i do think rev had let them do some things under their own like ice burn records but with rev and i think we should probably do like uh maybe a extra episode on one of those there's the uh the ice burn the collective Polar Bear. yeah yeah the they had like cd only and then southern lord did the vinyl of one the power of um Oh, goodness, I always forget the name. It's something with a lion. Well, if, if um, someone wanted to find the Revelation Records complete discography listed out, I think I know a way that they could do that. They could go to yeah. com, sign up for the mailing list, and then we will send you a complete, I believe it's the most complete Revelation Records discography listing on the internet it's better than wikipedia you Much can't better. find it on the rev revhq.com or revelationrecords.com i had to really really work my ass off to complete this thing yeah. and you'll and be able to yeah i was gonna say this is what we're using for the yeah episode. yeah so this is what you we look use. at wikipedia and you're like oh man they're going to be doing three Civ episodes in a row. Then you'd be wrong <laughs> because they're they're not. And and Hobbs, I will say that was one of the biggest egregious. Is that the right word? Errors egregious. Yeah. Was flagrant on, on foul. Egregious. On Wikipedia, it has like the Civ can't wait one minute more. All twisted and the LP all is having different numbers. I recently reacquired the seven inch of can't wait one minute more which is essentially useless because both songs are on the lp sure but um it's it's labeled as 40 point one or whatever the number is yeah point one. It's as not, shown in hobbs pdf yeah exactly 40, so 41.1 seven inches are yep. pretty useless in general you know, it's like only singles are are a more useless uh, <laughs> or or radio promo CDs, one track CDs. But anyway, yes, you're correct. Yeah. Uh, and those are basically it's, it's just all the same release. And yeah. uh, so I, it'll be interesting to use. talk about that. Uh, the decision to do all those wacky numbers. And I had to do some real backdoor action to find some of this stuff i had to go uh well i don't really want to spill all the beans but i had yeah. to yeah, i don't. had to do some things to find these records that uh are, were like kind of inside computer technology things that was i wouldn't have found on my own had i not had a little bit of a guide so 
It's time to... There's some talk this week because a friend of the pod, John Cinco, was on another podcast yes. this week. Which podcast? It was a ROMS. Uh. Yeah. Uh, and he was talking about the Revelation Records Adidas. That is a hot ticket right now. Yeah. Right? So uh, what those only given one, out to one people... Step- one step beyond is the name of the podcast. Sorry, I thought they were mostly given out to people who were involved with the creation of the past, present, future uh, LP, which right. we'll, we'll get to. But that was like John Cinco talks about that. I haven't been able to listen to the episode yet because I don't really listen to podcasts right now. I've been busy this week listening to jazz, actual jazz, Iceburn Poetry of Fire jazz yeah and then uh i listened to a lot of black metal this week but that's neither here or there greg uh do you have anything you want to shout it yeah am i allowed to am i allowed to talk about the package that i received from you in the mail this week yeah go for it well i got a really nice package from greg that contained the forgive forget seven inch which we just talked about recently with brian and sammy and josh and i got this 12 inch from end hits records by this band called downset again i haven't been able to throw it on the record player lately my wife is hogging up the turntable with her call me by your name soundtrack that she's all super into right now um which by the way they made a peach scented version on vinyl that goes for like fucking 500 dollars. it's wild but anyway, once I get to uh, kick it for my people, I will put on the downset record. Greg, you want to talk about that real quick? Yes. Yeah, so bit of Oise. Bit of Oise. Yo, Oise, Oise. bit of bow. We'll, we'll be hearing from him soon, too, again. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah, and Hits Records, they did a really great job with this. Um, different cover artwork than the original. So it's something where maybe, you know, collectors, if you have the original, you're going to want to get this because it's something different. Um, the vinyl itself looks great. And I said... It does. Uh, it's the three, the three colored vinyl, black, Yeah, I think it's called pie or something. Like mm-hmm. it's like a pie. Uh-huh. And then it came, it comes with a cool like black and white promo picture. Like, to, like they had, you know, more so in the 80s and 90s um, of the band. Uh, so yeah, it's worth checking out. Uh, speaking of packages, I sent you guys another package. Um, I want to give a bit of bow to Shining Life Press. Yeah, a bit um, of bow. Oh, yes. And In Effect Zine. So there's In Effect Records, different from the zine. There was a zine called uh, In Effect. Started in 1988. And went, or 1988 or 89, I, I, it was around that era. Went till about 1998 and then was resurrected recently as a um, webzine. Lots of interviews. But this book, so Shining Life, for those that don't know, it's uh, they do like a lot of, they press books and zines. What else did um, they like, press? You know, so like they did, um, I'm looking through now again just to, to jog my memory. And I own a lot of these. They did um, hardware fanzine. Uh, which are one of our patrons and friends, Brett Beach. Bit of Bo, Brett Beach. Uh, yeah. That book is an absolute, I think, essential if you're into 
hardcore, especially from the nineties. Yes. Um, you know, the amazing zine, one of the best of all time. Um, they did the bold tour, uh, tour 89 zine, which, was uh, sick. which I, I read recently. I bought that one. I also bought the Ned Russin novel, horizontal. Russ, oh yeah. Which That's on there talked too. about a million times on this podcast already. Um, what else? Contention fanzine. My friend Matt Smith, his zine. They have an anthology of that, which I own. It's really cool. Uh, Swizz uh, zine. They have um, Connecticut hardcore zine. There's so many things. There's the, the toy a, machine. A cool one. Here's a cool one that sold out. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles secret sewer maps. <laughs> I know John, John Sharbach, John, uh, old Friend, longtime friend of John Gibb. mine. Um, he uh, will talk to him eventually for Give, because Give have a record on Revelation. He yeah. Give. Uh, he, him, and uh, it's Zach. I think they're, they're the two behind Shining Life. Shining Life have a YouTube channel too, with a lot of cool, like, um, digitized, yeah, hardcore videos. Some great stuff. But uh, this in effect book is massive like i i had to when i went to the post office to send to you guys first off it came in a giant john sent them to me in a giant box and my wife was like whatever it is that is heavy i mean these books are heavy it's like two inches thick and it's filled i was looking through last night lots of content relevant to the podcast and more i love you know shining life what they did i love when they compile zines and they don't take away the ads. They don't, cause I love all that stuff. I love looking at the old ads from, you know, the eighties and nineties, all of it's there. Um, well worth, uh, well worth the price. And when you order, you should grab some other stuff from them too. Oh yeah. Uh, and, uh, I just think it's a cool, it's a really cool, uh, project. So, yeah, I was gonna say check out that toy machine zine. They did a toy machine fanzine, which is awesome because I grew yeah. up in toy machine stuff and yeah. jobs. I want to know about this. I want to know about this Ninja Turtle sewer maps. Yeah, thing. yeah, like, what, same. What what is that? Because like I, I I was I got sucked into a YouTube uh, hole last night. I was watching stuff about the Ninja Turtles. Like the original movies. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm uh, like, what are what are these sewer maps? Well, I I might have some insight into that, and this is just a guess. Uh, you know, I'm into Warhammer, which is okay. a tabletop game, miniatures game. Okay. Uh, I got into, when I was a kid, I was into some role-playing games, not specifically Dungeons and Dragons, but I was into this system called GURPS, Generic Universal Role-Playing System. And there was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles role-playing game where you basically designed your own mutant like, I want to be a half fox, half person. And then you do a role-playing game similar to Dungeons & Dragons. And so maybe the uh, sewer system was a part of that. Uh, I have a friend of the pod who also does his, um, a podcast called Dungeon Punks, Mark Boardman. And he sent me the scans of all the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles role-playing games, which is the artwork by Eastman and Laird. Yo, I fucking love those early Ninja Turtles. Yeah, those um, early comics were... They're so um, cool, man. And I, you know, in, in watching, like, with the movies, which I just found are 
they're all three of the original ones are on HBO. Yes. Whatever you can stream. The first Ooh. one was so dark and like so like real comic booky. I think I they thought Vanilla Ice was in the first one. No, he's in the second. Oh, okay. So the, yeah, so it the got, first it got the way first, easier. The first yeah, one is okay. the, the the first one uh, was d- pretty dark, kind of modeled after the Tim Burton Batman. Like it had that vibe. Mm, you it know? does, yeah. Um, and then the second one, they they had Vanilla Ice and this, and then the third one. I remember seeing the third one. My Turtles dad in took time. me, my brothers. Yeah, when I was like twelve, and I yeah, remember okay, them good. being like. I'm too old to be watching straight this up right now. Straight up. I haven't seen any. That's really weird. Yeah. That's Jason. akin to someone telling me they've never seen Goonies or Star Wars. <laughs> I, didn't, you know, I, I didn't, don't disagree with you. I yeah. think I would. I think that's correct. I yeah. didn't see Star Wars until like about six years ago. What and the, f- the oh, first one is what the fuck? And now well, I, whatever, I, whatever number it is. Yeah. And now I'm like a fanatic of it. We didn't watch it. I don't know why. I just yeah. didn't watch it as a kid. Mm. Um, Were you? Did you grow up in a puritanical religious household? No, that's the thing. why. Is Although, it? Is it supposed to be an anti-religious movie? Star Wars? No, no, I just know no. That in fact, sometimes people don't like to fact, have fun. Yeah, I I think there's a deep uh, there's deep spiritual uh, message to it. Right, Joseph Campbell and the Power of Myth, but then also uh who was it that wrote the book about the vedic connections was it well we'll connect it we'll connect it to revelation yeah and then then we'll go to our interview okay um steven rosen also known as uh satyaraj das Mm -hmm. uh disciple of srila Prabhupada, the founder of the uh, you know krishna consciousness Mm -hmm. movement in in the western world Mm -hmm. he wrote a book called the jedi and the lotus kind of examining the connection to um of star wars and the whole heroes what is it called a hero's journey or whatever and yeah you know it's themes with like the bhagavad gita and the uh ramayan and stuff like that and um he did a book with ray capo called in defense of reality yep um that was on equal vision yeah and it's hard to so, find now um it is last last bit of bow i wanted to do is for uh one of our patrons bram hubble uh, he hit me up and was like, hey, are you still looking for Four Walls Falling Culture Shock on vinyl? And I was like, uh, yeah, you know, I've kind of been looking around for it, but it's kind of, it's not that it's hard to find. It's just that I wasn't willing to pay the prices that I was seeing it for. And he's like, oh, I got an extra one I'll send to you. I'm like, what? Nope. Do you want any money for it? He's like, no, just pay it forward. You know, whatever. I'm a big, big believer in that. So got a package this week from Bram Hubble, uh, the Jade Tree version of culture shock not the white vinyl repress. nice yeah and on that same day uh another friend of the pod and patron little chris sent me an original four walls falling long sleeve that is Blast. so sick so so awesome. sick man so um yeah bit of bow to our friends uh you know i'm a huge four walls falling fan i'm a huge fan of friendship i'm a huge fan of receiving nice packages in the mail so it was just really, really cool. And I also wanted to give another bit of bow to listener Tyler from Inclination who has, uh, and anybody who's hit, hit me up about, oh, you know, I didn't really give this band a chance until, uh, you know, your podcast Iceburn or Into Another, like some of these kind of off the beaten path bands. So that's a perfect segue to go into Iceburn Poetry of Fire. Jason what if Jeff. I stop it with one last bit at bow? Kick it. We didn't talk about Godhead HC. 
Oh, we'll talk. Give about us a that quick. Later. Okay. Okay. So, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, we'll do it at the end. We'll do it at the end. Okay, fair enough. I'm going to make a list of all the things we need to talk about. All right, let's do it. I have one more. I have one more, too. Go shop at Joint Custody when you can in DC. That's a a last bit of bow to Sean in my purse. Big black shape with eyes of fire. Why don't you kick, tell the people why we're here. So today, we are here with our friend, Gentry Densley. Is is Gentry one of the people that's been on this podcast the most at this point? This is his third third appearance. Sammy is up there. Yes. Richie's up there. Drew. Drew. Porcel. Porcel. He's 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 definitely in the top uh echelon of like people um who've been because now three we'll say three three's a lot to have to deal with us yes (laughs) um and we're also here with um joseph smith but you'll always hear him referenced we were just talking about before we started recording as chubba um played in insight one of my favorites and plays played and plays in Iceburn, which this was all a roundabout way to say, we are talking now about what I'm presuming is the first record of 1995, because last time was Ignorus, which is 94. This has a 95 copyright date. Poetry of Fire, which in the intro, I think Hav referred to it as an EP, but it's, it's like an LP length. So I don't know if it's considered an album or an EP. What That's is it? How we roll. Yeah. <laughs> we got long songs. Um, yeah, like the new Iceburn is two songs, but it's longer than most full-length albums. So, right. Especially of the day. Um, yeah. And this was recorded back in 93. I brought my copy of the CD just to check. So late 93... And we had a bunch of sessions back then, or a very prolific session, I guess. Um, um, was, this um, wasn't at the same as uh, same time as like other records, though, was it? I think we recorded the Ride of Spring stuff at the same time. Okay. Is that your recollection, Chuba? Yeah. And also a seven inch for Art Monk um, construction. Oh, nice. Which is, yeah, you, Eric Astor, you guys know him? I just know the name of the label. I don't oh, know. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, he went on, he does a furnace, like the vinyl press the pressing for everybody now. Yeah. Wow, he, that's cool. Oh, okay. I knew that name. That's funny. Yeah. Okay. 
So he was, we knew him from way back, like uh, Insight went down to Arizona, played with like uh, Youth of Today and Soulside. And his band uh, was Wind of Change, Eric, Eric Astor. Um, and so we met those guys and kind of, I always stayed in touch with him over the years. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, there were some fun stories from that trip. <laughs> That's a killer show. Jesus. Yeah, who else was there? Do you remember, Chubb? Um, I don't. I just remember Youth of Today and, uh, yeah, Youth of Today and Soulside. And, but I don't remember. It was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> that was an infamous trip, though. We, I remember we showed up to this late. There was just this pool party, and it was all the dudes from all the bands, like – you know, these people you've seen on record covers and stuff or, or it shows and uh, just diving into this pool after hours. It was probably totally illegal, hop the fence, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it was kind of a fun time. Um, but I think at that point, I was just kind of rode in with uh, insight. Or did I play on that? <laughs> Maybe Doug couldn't go or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we saw Youth of Today in the little arcade, like pizza place. Really crazy. Did a couple shows in Arizona. Um, <clears throat> but that's how far we go back with Eric Astor. All right. I was going to say, so you recorded these songs in 93. Then how did they come about, um, you know, coming out in 95 on Rev? Yeah, I don't know where that, let's see, where's my glasses? Um, I think we just had a lot of stuff in the pipe and yeah. uh, Jordan probably had a bunch of records in there. Um, oh, on my CD, it says copyright 94. So that sounds about right. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> and so the first stuff, so the stuff that's on the vinyl was recorded October 93. And then there was two bonus tracks, which are Discolor and um, a live Poma Fire. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I would say Poma Fire was always the thing that we like ended the shows with. Okay. Especially in the old days with Jeremy, Jeremy Chatelaine in the band. It was Doug from inside and Jamie, um, Chaba and me and Jeremy. And uh, we would always kind of go crazy and jam on that song. And I remember one time we had our buddy, Andy Savar, who may have come up a few times in these, uh, in these things. Um, he, he sat in on the song, you know, cause you know, you learn the first bit and then you just kind of improvise with us and stuff. And he had this nice new SG and he was just going nuts and he ended up smashing it like cool. all over the stage. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was quite a memory. So my question was going to be, and I actually wanted to ask this last time and I forgot. So I'm going to now. At what point, so this this is labeled as Iceburn, 
at what point did you sure. do the whole coll- iceburn collective vibe because i believe I, I i can't reach the shelf from here but meditative evolutions is credited to the iceburn collective right um yeah, that's the first okay that was the that was the first and so this was like the last i think on the seven inch we called it the joseph smith sessions okay because chubba this was the last batch of stuff you know with chubba he was gonna go on his his way i don't know if you want to speak more to that chub yeah because this was your i was gonna say you're not on meditative evolutions i mean you're on the new album yeah um but but not <laughs> so what we what happened there yeah so um the the sessions that gentry's talking about for poem of fire and for uh or poetry of fire and um the ride of spring stuff and uh the other seven minutes that was like right around the time i got married and i was in college and i was i was just at a different place in my life you know like i i wanted to focus on school and my studies and and that type of stuff and and start working on a family and so yeah i i basically quit and didn't play for a long time and had a family. And then I don't know how long ago, maybe like 10 years ago or something, whenever, when was that gent? When we got back, well, when I uh, came back and we played some shows and. Yeah, 2007 was the first reunion. Okay. For Slug. Yeah, that was that clip you sent us, right? The YouTube, there was like the little documentary about the yeah. Salt Lake City. Um, was it a, a, it was a, rec- for a record store or a club? Slug uh, magazine. That's they were it, kind magazine. of a magazine that was current with, it, it was called Salt Lake Underground, so S-L-U-G, um, and started by, like, the people that started the Painted Word, and then they opened another club, J-R, and uh, was it Natalie? Yeah. I think, yeah. And and so, and the paper changed hands a few bit, a few few times after that um um and this super cool chick angela ended up owning it she still owns it today they do a lot of cool diy craft fairs and and all sorts of stuff and still support bands and and do shows and stuff so it's it's still around um and uh yeah so that's when you came back but now he has grandkids and yeah, so I, I took like got started a, early. Took like a fifteen-year break. Had a family, raised them, and uh, then yeah. So this this slug documentary. Well, the slug the slug thing was a show. So they had their twentieth anniversary or something like that, and they wanted to get some bands together, and they asked us to play. But anyway, um, all of us got back together and played and then it just kind of just kept evolving back into kind of the way it started, you know, um, me and Gentry and Cash and Jamie, um, you know, have been playing since then. So. So Chubba, when you played these shows, did you play, you played material that was out and everyone knew. Sure. Right. In comparison to people have brought up in the past that, Iceburn would play stuff that the audience wasn't familiar <laughs> with yet because it hadn't come out. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to uh-huh. the, the stuff that was on record. So did yeah. you notice that difference at the live shows? Well, 
I mean, I, I, I noticed that forever, you know, from the, from when we very first started, you know, um, but especially the, when it was just me and Gentry and cash and we started kind of really taking the band, you know, kind of in our, in our, our own direction, you know, early on, it was mostly the inside guys. And then we got Gentry and, you know, I think for the first little while, we were trying to find our voice. And then, you know, by the time it was just the three piece, me and Cash and Gentry, I feel like we had, we we landed on what we were all about. And then we would play live shows or we would tour. And like every time we would play a show, you know, like you're never gonna hear the same thing twice. It's, yeah. it's always gonna be different. and. I think that's just kind of the, the ice burn thing. And so I think, you know, if, if kind of get back to the question, you know, a lot of times I think there's bands you can go see and you want them to play their songs exactly how you hear on the recording. And, um, you know, you kind of have expectations, but people coming into an ice burn show, you just have to kind of not have any expectations because it's always going to be different and we're always going to jam and we're always going to just play, you know, we're always working on new stuff too. And so, you know, I, I think the older we get, we try to have a good balance, you know, between like, let's, let's do um, play some of these songs that people love and then, you know, we'll play some new stuff too. So um it's it, it it's kind of like that so yeah and sp speaking of the jamming one of the things i felt was cool was the um it's not on the vinyl like gentry mentioned but the live uh poem of fire the sabbath stuff <laughs> like that's see that that's cool because again that's like a little like i've said before like an easter egg like you're at the show you're hearing this jam and all of a sudden you guys go into uh you know, some Black Sabbath. I'm sure you did other stuff going into other bands. Like, it's almost like how people, like, if I think if technology was a little bit different around this era, there'd be a lot of live ice burn, like, bootlegs around, maybe. Like, the, because, like, sort of like with the Grateful Dead, how people are like, oh, did you ever hear, you know, this set from 1972 where they do this? Because, like, like Chubba said, they're, you, you may never get the same thing twice. Um, did you guys, when you did that, like sat was, was that something you did often or do you just literally just like go like we do improvise jam into it? And <laughs> you can tell we're having a good time. I think on that. And I think the thought putting it on the record, um, like it was a bonus track discolor. And in those days you usually had the vinyl and then you'd, do bonus tracks for the CD so we could max out our 72 minutes yeah. of documentation, I think. Um, and, and with that one, yeah, it's not very polished Sabbath, but it was us just, I mean, really Chubb is just starting different songs and then we're like, oh shit, I think this one's War Pigs. Let's try some of that shit. Yeah, cause I've um, heard War Pigs and then- um... <laughs> There's some Children of the Grave. Yeah, and like was it fair, fairies wear boots? Was that in there too? I don't know or, even. Uh, the and and Black Sabbath, the 
the first song, of course. Yeah. It sounds so fun, like you said, that like I really enjoyed it because to me it captures like being at a show with a band like Iceburn where you kind of don't know what you're going to get and you're like, oh, this is cool. They're they're going into, you know. Yeah. And, that. you know, I was listening to it on cassette the other day on a boombox and I guess I hadn't like picked up on that happening before and I was like, Oh, this is fucking cool. Like black Sabbath. And then I listened to it in my car this morning, really loud. And I had to rewind it a couple of times because you're like, Oh shit. You like <laughs> yell into the mic. And it's, it's, it was like such a cool moment that literally was just like captured on tape, you know? And um, I, I think that it, it, that was, I love the, the live tracks on this i mean i actually really enjoy this might be my favorite iceberg no spoilers but um i really liked listening to the live stuff because it was so like uh those you say like yeah a bunch in in the live and and um it, it you could really tell that you're in the moment and there's there is a an element of improvisation that's captured there and i really appreciate that yeah yeah, the spontaneous Black Sabbath medley improvisation. <laughs> yeah, that's our life, basically. Uh. Um, but that's, you know, me and Chuba, we started playing together our first band, basically. It wasn't really a band, but he had a farm. You know, we were in his barn or in, in this little shed out, out building. I don't know what you'd call oh, it. But, but yeah, our first stuff was... Sabbath, I I was, of course, I don't know why, but <laughs> we would just learn Sabbath songs and play parts of them, but not all of them. And so I think it just you were just came. training. You were just training yeah. for the future. You didn't know it. Yeah. So it always comes through. We actually on tour, even with uh, Engine Kid, I was going to mention sometimes, like I remember showing Grand Rapids, and we had both bands play. And at the end, we brought uh, the Engine Kid guys back up, full drum set, all the amps, you know, and we did Black Sabbath, you know, all, all them, all us, and it was it was super fun. Two drums. Nice. Um, that was, yeah, after Chuba was out, but we had some crazy tours with Chuba as well. I was I was remembering. <laughs> I think those might have been a little reason why he may have wanted to take a break. <laughs> hey, I'm too old. I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> There's definitely, yeah. Uh, Gigi Allen's girlfriend we ended up playing with and that the, it ended with one of them in the hospital. Um, and there was some, like, I don't know if it was part of the set, but some, like, basic... I never mind. It's a sexual <laughs> on a male, you know, in the audience. It was it was a strange thing, and I think it scarred all of us. Funny. Did Gigi Allen ever play Salt Lake City? I think I had heard about it, but I, yeah, we didn't show okay. up for that. Yeah. Well, I, I diff go ahead. No, you. Uh, I was gonna. I was gonna ask us on a completely different track, the about the recording of the saxophone. Mm. About did you do that live? I mean, 
Yeah, which uh, all of it. Yeah, basically the four. I think he was in a room where he could see us just across, okay. but the rest of us were all in the same room. Um, and you know, I don't know. Maybe he was in the room with us. I think he was. I think yeah, because there was one part where he kind of started the theme on something, and we ended up kind of muting him, but you can still hear it coming through the drums and stuff okay. um, on on the blues track. Um, so, but yeah, those, the three main songs that are on the vinyl were all done in the same room. I think we just kind of used the first time we made it through take and felt good. And uh, we were definitely inspired by all the, jazz dudes that we were idolizing at the time and um i remember cash has had this philosophy like you know if it was a mistake you can call it that but it, it was meant to happen so we'll just leave it you know that kind of <laughs> attitude right um, and yeah i went back and listened through and there's some yeah i don't know i kind of enjoyed a lot of the interplay um it was always fun to play with greg the sax player because i would hear things and then could play like you know hit the same note and we we i think we played very well together yeah um, and yeah, it's a cool like it's a, just it. a cool addition yeah like yeah the, the, and i'm with Hav, like Hav, I, I this record's awesome like straight yeah. up like it's like full stop like it's you know, I've mentioned before, people are sick of hearing it, but like this podcast, you know, doing the research made me discover how much I enjoyed you guys and Engine Kid both. I was like, these are like kind of like, and that's what I'm, that's what we're hoping, you know, in doing this is like, I mean, there's always going to be people discovering Gorilla Biscuits, sure. But like, <laughs> we do get a lot of messages from people like, yo, I, I listened to, we were talking about it earlier, like, hey, I, I slept on that ice burn record back in the 90s now i love it or i slept on into another or whatever you know some of the more you know th this era of stuff the 90s stuff but yeah the saxophone's cool and i love i love the live tracks on the uh the bonus stuff and you know a lot of times i think live tracks are like you're like whatever but with you guys like you know because you don't know what you're gonna get it's so interesting and the uh the discolor uh was one of greg anderson's favorites um so when we were talking about doing some new stuff for southern lord he kept asking us to record a version of discolor and so I, that'll be forthcoming we we did uh another session with some discolor stuff Oh, nice. So there'll be, there will be another, I was like, I was going to ask later, there'll be another record, hopefully at some point. Oh yeah. Pretty soon. We're also working on like a Hephaestus remaster remix. Cause we got all the tapes transferred. Um, and I got the rights to fire and back. So I'm trying to get that, um, up to snuff again. So. And would these all be through Southern Lord? Um, yeah, or, or uh, 
Well, so with Jordan too, I think um, we talked about like on her face, just maybe doing kind of a split where one label does the vinyl and the other handles the other stuff or, you know. Yeah. Cause I, they did that. The, um, with the, engine, the kid. engine kid the has the rev logo on it still and yeah. Southern Lord, which I think that that's cool. And um, yeah, well, I'm excited. That's exciting. Yeah. Cause I was like, Oh, firing isn't even on streaming. Well, so I had to battle to get the rights back and then they, so victory like sold everything to, or a uh, Concord. Like, yeah. I don't know. He's some kind of multi-million dollar deal. Right. Um, yeah. The, the report is that, he, so he sold it for $30 million to Concord music, which Concord music, I think they're like a giant late, like that's who like does yeah. like, you know, the REM reissues and everything. It's like part of, universal or you know i mean everything's all ties back to what sony or whatever but yeah they yeah. sold it for a lot and then that was what he did mission two yeah and uh, so he never we never saw a dime on any kind of streaming or any other you know digital sales after the initial stuff so at one point like a few years in i had to get a lawyer and try to get some money out of him. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's just kind of been in limbo. That was even before the internet was around. So um, I don't know. When I saw that he sold everything, I was like, we just need the rights to that back and we'll, we'll put it up proper. And yeah. Awesome. That's good news. A lot of people yeah. love that record. Um, well, and, and uh, it got mastered a little fast faster than so i'm working on trying to get we have the tape so like let's get it back to normal speed maybe and <laughs> i think that was a trick they did in the old days you would you know it would make you sound tighter if it was faster so you play right, like they tried to do with rock for light where yeah, they i'm sure moved yeah. up a half step yep that was exactly kind of what happened there and yeah. we'll see if we can do that or not but um, yeah, so I've been digging into all those records and old tapes. So awesome. Uh, I cool. think, well, as uh, yeah, it's just, uh, a lot of stuff and we have to rely on a few other people. So, um, but look, look forward to those unless I die here or something. <laughs> yeah. We uh, look forward to it too. That's, that's good news. I wanted to ask about the source materials that you listed oh, yeah. on the insert. And can you That's good. Yeah, break it down for us because I did some research on it and I was I just wanted to hear from your perspective. Um well man, yeah, we could start Poem of Fire. Um that was a so I said it was an old song. It was on fire um as a bonus track. Um on cd and cassettes um so it's it was like the last track and that was kind of our foray into improvising as well um and the theme there's this mystic chord that is at the beginning that i play and somehow it just it's by uh, alexander scriabin and uh it was this chord <laughs> How do I describe it? I don't know. It's a it's an old symphonic work, but um, that chord it lies perfectly on the guitar for some reason, and just 
is so cool. It's almost like if you took a that typical Hendrix kind of blues chord, which is the like from Purple Haze, right? Sure, yeah. The E seven sharp nine that people learn, but then you go E seven sharp nine with a flat thirteen over B flat, and then it's that's the mystic chord. Um, and there are some other themes from that piece. It was called Prometheus colon poem of fire. Um, and it was one of his most ambitious works. Um, so we just kind of took that chord and there was another theme where he's using kind of this minor third and a major third, um, together. And that's, those things ended up informing, um, poem of fire. Doug had some killer bass lines too. So we just kind of use those and then some of this other thing you know from i guess it's a symphony i'm not sure his his tone poem maybe you would say and it had a uh color organ a part for a organ that he had made that would show colors for the different pitches and stuff so okay and and he yeah he had synesthesia um a form of it and I always kind of, I don't know, I've always had a kind of synesthesia, I guess, certain pitches and keys, I always see certain colors. Um, and uh, maybe it was just playing in that dark basement um, that we used to always practice in and uh, kind of closing your eyes while you play, see these different colors in your head um, or on your, on your eyelids. Um, so I kind of bonded with the piece that way. And um, it was just something we always came back to. I Probably one of the third or fourth songs we ever came up with. I don't know. What do you think, Chubb? Yeah, that sounds right. It was early. Yeah. Because I just noticed I have the vinyl of Fire and then I looked on my phone. I, down, I must have downloaded the cd and i did see there's poem of fire on there i don't know why i didn't notice before um <laughs> there's like three so yeah so. poem poem of fire is the song and then we called this poetry of fire um the other source material on that song ended up like the live version those lyrics were kind of from nietzsche i guess okay um and chubba was super into um, studying him at school at the time and stuff. So we always would kind of just take little quotes that we liked um, and and put those in there, use those. Um, I don't know. Do you want to say more on that, Chubb? <laughs> no, I, I can't even remember the live. I mean, I haven't listened to the live track, so I don't remember yeah. what quotes they are. But, I mean, we definitely... Like on our T-shirts and stuff like that, we always had a Nietzsche quote or something. So, <laughs> yeah, and then we moved away kind of from that. The, um, but on the on the recorded version, I actually ran up to the university yesterday to find this book, the um, Astrologer in the, in the Underground. Okay. So that was by this uh, Polish poet. Um, and uh, Andre Bushka, uh, I don't even know how, how to say it exactly, but um, 
he was like a big Joseph Conrad scholar. Um, but I, I don't know where I'd come across that, but I love that book. There's, there's parts of it that work them, their way into Hephaestus as well. I noticed scanning through it. Um, but just really cool, weird poetry that, and I tried to look on the online and I couldn't find it anywhere. So, but it comes from an actual poem called fire. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it seemed perfect and the words just seem to work perfectly. So, so we definitely, I don't know, I guess plagiarize that in a way as we did with everything. Um, I guess because we would take words, we would take uh, music, say, from Miles Davis themes or from Scriabin for that that first piece. And there's a whole tradition in jazz, you know, of playing a standard and you want to make it your own. Um, so I always felt in a way we were trying to to do that in our own kind of weird way. So for the B-side, are there parts from those songs that were, that's taken from Miles Davis songs? Yeah. Um, and King Crimson too? There's just- That's right. There was just a little, so talking drum from King Crimson. Uh, Fripp plays this line. And so in the middle of uh, Stones, which was based on Milestones, um, that, 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 Da, 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 da. so that what we did with that was take that miles davis theme um if you listen to milestones you could kind of hear where we got some of that from okay and but we put it all on seven uh you know seven four basically to because that's how we roll um and then uh, <laughs> so in the middle of that we kind of expand on each part um so the typical form of the song is like, you know, like A-A-B-A -A -A or something, but we would, then we would go off on the A stuff. Then we go off on the B stuff. Um, but in that, as it builds back up, there's uh, a little Fripp line that I'm totally stealing in a way um, from Lark's Tongues and Aspic, um, okay. which was a super cool record. And um, so, yeah, <laughs> and that could take me on a tangent alone right there. Because You guys always have me, every time we talk to you, I'm like doing my homework. I'm here like, yep. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm you, always doing my homework. Yeah, I did my homework, but it's cool to hear about it from your perspective because when I'm looking, like when you were talking about the, um, the lights, yeah, yeah. I, I for some reason I didn't make sense to me, but when you explained it, it makes it makes more sense to me. Mm. Um, as as someone that's not familiar with um, synesthesia, yes. Or <laughs> thank you, <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, and I I met with some professors like later in my life. We we were trying to work on this program to like actualize it um, on a computer, maybe like translate. I had this idea of turning RGB, what is it? Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh -huh. RGB, Red, green, blue. Yeah. Or CMYK stuff yeah. into like translating from pitches into colors. And so you could maybe get an app that, this was before apps, but 
Um, nothing ever came of it. I'm sure there's something out there like that. Um, yeah. But ended up kind of exploring it for myself. Um, but that's a super fun rabbit hole. Um, some people like taste shapes or all sorts of other, like it's, it's when one sense triggers another uh, mental reaction, I guess. Okay. So hearing and then seeing a color is, is kind of the musician's one you hear from like Liszt and Mozart and lots of people, I guess, may have yeah. that. Um, but yeah, I would say on the lark's tongues, that was kind of fun. Uh, we, I was introduced to that from Pete Hines, whose name's come up a few times, I think. The, yeah. On Best Wishes, Cro-Mags, and then he was in Handsome Right, too, with Jeremy. With Jeremy, yeah. Um, and they're yeah, like, well, Jeremy mentioned that uh, he gave, he's the one that gave the nickname to Greg, the sax player. Sax jock, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's the nickname, sax jock? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay. Jeremy was talking, uh, he said, and he did say Pete's his brother and brother-in-law. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was, well, this is before they were brothers, but that's kind of a crazy bunch of interconnections. And uh, we had met Pete at the Speedway, like inside, played with the mags maybe. Do you remember, Chubb? Yeah, and we hung out with all those dudes. They were crazy. It was it was a Harley fronted version for Best Wishes, right? I love uh, Best Wishes. So. Oh yeah, it's great. But um, <laughs> we ended up on the Inside Out uh, reunion thing. Oh, that's right. Um, and Alloy was playing some of the shows, and uh, Riverside, California, I think was one of them, or maybe it was it was somewhere down there. Was Fuller, uh, Fullerton. Fullerton, yeah. And uh, um, Pete with Alloy, he was playing an Alloy with Vic Bondi, <laughs> who later, you know, he did Articles of Faith. Right, yeah. Beginning. Um, so he was kind of DC and moved to Chicago and then other places, but somehow Pete Hines was in his thing. And I remember he took us into their crazy van and they had a a VHS player that I'm sure they watch porn mostly on, but um, he had a King Crimson video that was insane. It was from the Lark's Tongues and Aspic stuff. And it, he's like, you got to see this. I, after he heard us, he was like, this is going to be up your alley, you guys. <laughs> so I remember sitting in the van watching that with him. And that's where Chuba had had joined us. And we toured through the South with, alloy um some crazy shows some endurance testing drives <laughs> some crazy heat in arizona i remember oh god and alloy had uh colin and roger from dag nasty too oh yeah um, yeah there's all sorts of and and later vic did something with uh jay um from jawbox right uh mm -hmm. jay robbins yeah they had a I it was 9-11 themed just in some way, I can't remember. But um yeah, report dangerous activity or something like that. I think was okay. the name of the I don't know. Yeah, he's done a lot. But, Big Bondi's done a lot of uh, yeah, yeah, report, cool report suspicious activity. Yeah. 
Jones Very. Um, he did Jones Very. Uh, some other stuff too. So yeah. Yeah. So we got to hang out with those guys. Um, I remember hearing stories that it ended with Pete punching out the guitarist or something, but <laughs> oh no. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> of Cro the guitarist of Cro Mags? No, or, uh, of, of Alloy. Of Alloy. Okay. Oh, wow. Kind of. They were definitely picking at each other. Man, um, volatile situation, huh? Yeah. Was that, that might have been our last tour too, because I think we, with Chuba, I'm anyway. And it, it turned out super weird because we were, ended up playing with the Luna Chicks and Offspring on the way back from New York, like across the States. It was such a weird bill. Were they, were they at, the, at their like big time offspring at that, right uh, at that time? Right okay, before right before it. it. And, and yeah, was that Stormy? Stormy booked it, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, so she booked all three bands. Luna Chicks were awesome. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. They they started blowing up by the time we hit Denver. We may have talked about this at a different point, but I just remember people did not in, appreciate our set there. And we were probably doing a lot of this stuff, uh, poem of fire, poetry of fire stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, a bunch of snowboard bras wanted their option. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been 94 because smash was like summer 94 so yeah if it was yep. like around that time they were they were huge uh you know they were for like an indie band especially oh yeah yeah chubba what's your favorite memory from recording this record oh um you know it uh I guess I just, you know, I really enjoyed all of us in the room together, you know, like that's, I guess it's kind of the ice burn way, but you know, like just everybody together playing and, um, you know, especially with this record, you can tell, you know, there, there's, there's a, a certain level of structure and form, but then there's, you know, just this free, the, a lot of free moments. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, we'd played together for such a long time that, um, you know, between me and Cash and Gentry, um, you know, we had a really tight connection. And then with James playing guitar and, and Greg playing the sax, like, um, there's just so much listening going on, you know, amongst us, you know, we're, we're listening and, and someone will play something and we'll go one direction and it will evolve into something. So, you know, I think memory wise, um, I, I just, you know, remember how tight we were and remember how, uh, like creative the moment was, um, you know, we definitely weren't up for, for doing a bunch of retakes and and all this kind of stuff so you can you can tell that when you listen to it you know um and i i really like what gentry talked about with cash um you know just 
just playing. And if, if there's mistakes, they're not really mistakes, you know, it, it just goes somewhere. So anyway, like my, my memory about that session and it, same with the Rite of Spring stuff, it was just really organic and um, really pure. So I, I just love it. it. Did you come from the same, like you're, you under, you are, on the same wavelength as far as like the jazz artists that Gentry was influenced by, or was it more just, cause I'm trying to picture your drumming. So do you have all of these changes and how do you communicate that with each other? Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of funny because, you know, Gentry, he, he spent so much time studying the jazz elements and aspects and same with Greg, you know, like from a musicianship standpoint, you know, they're like, they're like in this, this other kind of world. And for me, like, I didn't have any jazz background. I mean, I, I listened to a lot of it, you know, when we are on tour or whatever, you know, our gentry would send me stuff, but you know, I listened to a lot of jazz, but from a musicianship standpoint, like I didn't have any of that, you know, it, yeah. it was all gentry and, and Greg, you know? Um, so for me, um, you know, things aren't getting too jazzy or too swingy. So there, there's, there's definitely this uh, simplified rock element, I guess, from a, a, a percussion standpoint, you know? Um, and I don't know, some, somehow it, it, it was able to work, you know? Uh, and, and cash, I think kind of sits in the middle, you know, like, uh, he's got some, some jazz chops and some rock chops for sure. You know, so it's, it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, it does. It did. It's kind of nuts to think that this was recorded. Like the, the space between the insight seven inch and this being recorded is like less than four years. You know what I mean? Like that to me, just the progression there alone like is mind-blowing and the insight stuff you know it it's hilarious because we just you know insight released this thing uh i guess it was this year but we recorded it a couple years ago we recorded four of the songs on that insight record a couple years ago anyway you know we recorded it after the after iceburn recorded the stuff that just got released as well you know so Esclave recorded and then about a year later insight went in and recorded those four songs and, you know, like the Iceburn world, you know, the Iceburn world's over here and the Insight world's <laughs> over here. And Insight songs are like two minutes long and Iceburn songs are like 20 minutes long, you know. And and uh, they're, they really are just like two completely different worlds. And, yeah, so I came from, you know, Gentry and I jamming and coming up with songs in high school and then – joining insight and just being you know hardcore straight edge fast uh short and then you know yeah coming back to iceburn you know when when we started that you know um i guess gentry and i've always kind of been on the same wavelength you know we haven't talked about where the music goes but as we play stuff it just kind of forms and evolves and you know it it becomes its own animal 
So yeah, they're very different progression from insight to iceburn. I mean, and it's cool that like now, you know, both bands exist. So as a musician, you kind of get to run the gamut too, because you get to play like, you know, this experimental, you know, uh, stuff with iceburn, but then you, you get to just like rock out and play, you know, fast, hardcore punk, which is awesome, you know, with, with insight. So as a, as someone who's a drummer, that's gotta be pretty fulfilling. Like you kind of, you get to have your cake and eat it too, because you get to do, you know, everything. It's a lot of fun. And about the progression, I think people always thought we did drugs or something. Um, especially with, uh, this, the CD and maybe uh, there's a frog that on the poetry of fire, um, on the CD and it has like, here, I have the, okay. This little guy, it's a rich, Oh, on that. Oh, cool. Rich Jacobs frog. Um, and, uh, People are always like, oh, man, do you guys like lick those toads from like Amazon and yeah. trip out? And <laughs> like, I mean, we were all vegetarian, some vegan, didn't, nobody drank or did anything for, I mean, most of Iceburn. So, um, yeah, it, <laughs> we were kind of straight edge, but we got all our whatever um super straight edge stuff out in those early bands yeah and and we're just kind of into um expanding our minds in other ways um you didn't have to do drugs they probably hurt more than help in those kind of situations anyway and you were expanding and reading all this stuff like authors and things you know (laughs) that's expanding your mind too you know without yes totally having to uh you know, chemically induced. And it's funny because I always did wonder, especially, you know, when I first like you hear like Engine Kid, Ice Burn. Now I can't speak to what Engine Kid was doing. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll talk, we'll talk to them uh, for Angel Wings. But like, yeah, I would have thought like you probably did have a lot of people that were into some crazy stuff that were super into Ice Burn, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like in some of that dead crowd type. You know, we appealed to that same mentality. Yeah. We definitely had people at our shows that um, thought we must follow the dead as well. But yeah, maybe Cash does. <laughs> Cash was going to try to be here, but I don't, I guess he couldn't make it. Um, but I was going to say, our, we also had this professor um, that Chuba ended up taking classes from as well. And he would do these super crazy music classes. Um, that were just like he would pick a theme and then just make like this super advanced 500 level class. But basically he was just telling you about shit Um, and he would bombard us with cool stuff all the time. His name was Paul Bannum um, and the Metatavolutions is dedicated to him. But I definitely know he... um, like inspired these writings that you know influenced us here uh he would do things like you'd hear all these stories where he was like hiding inside the piano as his class came in and then it it goes past start time and they're not 
everybody's kind of talking and wondering. Then he just like jumps out of the piano and starts <laughs> freaking people out, you know. Um, but yeah, Chuba and I had some classes with him. I loved him. He was great, great dude. Uh, do you have any memories from him, Chubb? Well, I mean, he he was very eccentric. I mean, my my biggest memory is uh, I walk up. You know, he's always doing crazy stuff. So I walk up one day to class, and the lights out, and the door shut, and on the door is his obituary. Uh, oh my god! I was like, I look at it, and I'm like, okay, is he is he joking or what's going on here? And it was real, you know, yeah. and our professor who that we loved, he died. And so I remember going home and calling Gentry and saying, hey, Gent, don't go to class. Paul died, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, that was a dark day. Wow. Just completely surreal. Um, mm. You know, and I just like the week before, I had walked with him after class down to the bus and um, – is it's just really bizarre you know and then to walk up there and to see his obituary on the door and have him be gone um but yeah he definitely kind of a weird way to announce by the way like of the school yeah uh well, yeah. <laughs> put the obituary up they'll they'll get the idea i uh, know pre pre-internet right it yeah, pre-internet, so. yeah it was, but yeah yeah that was a sad time um but yeah he was really influential you know like a lot of the stuff gentry's been talking about like i he he introduced us to messian uh quartet for the end of time and i don't know if that works its way into any of of these things but um you know just like so many things that we probably you know neither of us would have have been introduced to but he like opened up this whole other world for things that became influential to us and influential to the band. And so it, it, it's pretty cool, you know, like I think it's rare that you would find a professor that really, really pushed, pushed the boundaries in the way he did. And, um, and he loved the band. He, that's cool. I remember we had some classes from him and then he came up, we played the union building right out front. Um, which was like at lunchtime. Um, I think of me, Cash, and Chubba. There's some pictures from it. Um, and so he came up, and we were probably like playing Fire and Arrow, maybe, or maybe Hephaestus stuff. Hephaestus. Yeah, probably Hephaestus. And, and the next time we came to class, he was like, what? You guys, you're doing this. You're just sitting here like, oh, I'm a student. And then you're so he was always. Oh, he didn't know you were in a band, period. Oh, he didn't know. Yeah, he thought, oh, sure, they play some music or something. And he's like, he's like, we need to talk about this. And your t- and our t-shirts <laughs> had uh, my brother's uh, art, who was super young at the time, Tyler. So um, I'm 13 years older than he was probably like seven, eight, nine. You know, drawing us stuff. Uh, the, the one from Ludax. <laughs> Um, so we had these crazy shirts that he had drawn with like all these monsters and stuff. And it had like a Nietzsche quote of, you know, he who fights oh. with monsters should look to it that he does. Not Was it a brown monsters. shirt? It's like a brown shirt with yellow print. We had one like that. Yeah. Okay. The initial ones were just like white and black that we, okay. printed, but yeah. Yeah. He had, 
I think we used that design a few times. Um, but he, um, Paul Bannum, the professor, just he's like, oh, we need to talk about the that those concepts like he who stares into the abyss should know the abyss stares into him, you know, those kind of things. So, um, yeah, he was just really great. Um, Sheppa mentioned Messian, another person with synesthesia as well. So we'll just tie that in there. Um, and Messian was a huge influence on a lot of stuff. So still is today. Oh, Olivier Messian, he was a French composer. Did some crazy stuff. Really cool, really cool music. So, okay. Um, but we were always into that. And then we're into like, you know, some Suicyco Excel stuff or yeah. Beowulf. I don't know. Those, you know, we just had so many different influences coming at us. So we kind of just, uh, all that stuff worked its way in if it could, if it was cool enough and we connected with it, I think. Yeah. Did that same professor introduce you to R.D. Lang? Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That came from him. And uh, it was actually, I think the thing on the back, um, that comes from Knotts. Um, so I took his... Um, he had this book, Knotts, which was from 1970 which is the same book that, or the same year that other book, uh, Astrologer and the Other Underground came out. Okay. Same with Sabbath, first Sabbath record in 1970. <laughs> Lots of good stuff, 1970. Um, but I kind of broke it down. Those are the lyrics in uh, Stones. Um, and so that little diagram on the back, um, you, you have it, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know that I just kind of laid it out like a weird um, circular logic argument or something. <laughs> it just struck me that um, if you read that, it, it just kind of makes you think. Uh, and, and that whole book was filled with stuff like that. Like R.D. Lang was what a psychoanalyst or a, um but he did poetry as well so he kind of worked these weird relationships into the into the poems yeah. um and that one knots is especially it's all about relationships and it might be kind of dark stuff but yeah i i get kind of zen when i read stuff like that and just take it all in and if I'm not even understanding it still just kind of absorb the words and and then think about them later but yeah <laughs> I, so don't, I don't know a ton about slang uh, great a Scottish, Scottish psychiatrist who wrote extensively on mental illness yeah um and uh kick out I had kick never off heard what of it him. says Greg <laughs> kick off what what says on the back of the record it's what Oh, well, I, yeah. where do I, where do I, so I see, I was looking at this and then I got, I got like hypnotized by it. <laughs> I think that's the way, I think really his quote starts with what we think. Um, but then it's like, what we are is 
what we think, right? That's going backwards, but what we, think, what we think is less than what we know, and what we know is less than what we love. Uh, what we love is less than what we are, and then uh, what we are is less than what we are. To that precise extent is from, from Lang, he says, uh, you know, to that precise extent, we are less than what we are. And then it's like, if we are what we think and what we think is less than we know, and, I, and it kind of goes in a cycle, what we yeah. know is less than what we love. Um, so, and then another funny thing on the tracks, we kind of got the time signatures instead of numbers. And I made Palm of Fire, the first one, eight, and blues is in or stones is in seven, blues is in six. Oh, I see. Discolor, I was wondering what that was. Yeah. yeah Discolor's all of five four. Um, and then we're back to Palm of Fire again, which is half. And so it's less than what it was, maybe. <laughs> I don't uh, know. Just playing with stuff like that. So, so so go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, so you did the design for the back. Yeah. I, of the record. I don't know if I did the, I, I kind of sketched it and sent the words and then they, um, I think we had this girl, Lisa with Rev at the time that laid it out. Okay. Um, and did that. So what's on the cover? What's that a photo of? Oh man. The evil furnace. <laughs> Do you have any stories about the furnace job? Um, I guess you can tell them about it. Yeah. <laughs> downstairs. <laughs> Yeah, that was our basement of our crazy house, the burn house. Um, we moved in there, me and Chubb and my girlfriend at the time had found it. And it was this hoarder, this dude named Don Layton, who owned a bunch of properties and just filled them with stuff. And so we propositioned him to, we would take all the stuff out and uh, help him. And then we would pay him rent and kind of fix it up as we go. And so, <laughs> um, our initial rent was about 270 for a five bedroom Victorian house, you know, that was in disrepair, but so we we're paying like 90 bucks each. That was doable at the time. Um, but yeah, we carved out the basement. Even it was kind of all dirt. We ended up putting some carpets and things down there. Um, and that's where Iceburn kind of lived for a long, long time. We, most people that were in the band would end up living in the house and then we'd practice down there. Um, and there was a furnace down there that was just like this, it looked like some kind of Cthulian monster that had all these tubes and pipes and wires and shit going off of it. And, uh, one time somebody had turned it on and it like, just like, uh, <laughs> while we were practicing, you, it would just like come alive. And, and when the flame kicked on, it like shot out of the, the thing. So, um, Rick Egan, he's a super supportive photographer and, uh, he worked for the Salt Lake Tribune. He still does. Um, he, he came down with us. Um, he, he would take band photos for people all the time, you know, like headshots and stuff. 
uh, super cool dude. And he, yeah, I remember just like turning the furnace off and on and then him trying to get like the, the perfect shot of it coming back on. Cause we were like, this would be cool for a record cover. So did he take the back photo also or, or not? Oh, I'm sorry. It's in the insert, the live photo. Insert. Yeah. I don't know where that came from. I remember that looks like a California show that we did. The cool picture. Yeah. So, I love the sax player in there. Yeah, yeah. We tried to get everybody in there. Um, but yeah, I does it not credit. I don't know if we know who took that. It was maybe given to us later. Um, or Jordan had it. Maybe Jordan took it. I don't know. Yeah, because okay. it just credits cover photo. Yeah. Um, with Rick Egan and then uh the back uh the back cover design. Well, no, that's from text from R D Lang. Yeah. Just yeah. so people know we're saying R D Lang, not R D Lang. R D Lang. R D But uh all right, cool. And then you got the Rich Jacobs artwork in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rich was always contributing stuff and so and we had talked about doing that one poetry of fire or the poem of fire i guess he's got on there um i don't know label was wanting to do some other stuff so that but, photo kind of came about and it has the eye designed by albie albie in touch albie olson he was a good dude yeah, so I have the cassette version only, and there's actually an, like an extra painting inside the cassette that's not inside the vinyl. The one in the yeah. middle of the guy saying, the music moves this man. Yeah. Um, and then there's no, the artwork that's on the back of the vinyl and the CD, that's not anywhere to be found on the cassette, all of that whole explanation that you just gave. <laughs> it's if, if oh, someone was there looking at, the I'm cassette. like, what, where is it? Oh, yeah, it's, it's not on here. So now um, you got to get all the versions. That's why I know. Oh, geez. The other two. And the, the frog also is nowhere to be found on here. It just has yeah. the front cover and then the, um, the live photo and all of it, all of the stuff that you guys were saying too about, R D Lang that's nowhere to be found on the cassette insert as well. So it's interesting to me, you know, what, what people would find if they came upon varying uh, physical media, you know, what we've said before, if you get the vinyl of certain records, there's bonus tracks on the CD and on the cassette. And now we have bonus art that's on the different versions yeah. of this as well, which is very interesting to me. You got to catch them all, Hav. Yeah, well, I guess <laughs> if you're a collector, this is why you got to have all physical mediums. You got to have vinyl, cassette, CD, shirts. Colored gotta, vinyl. Yeah, all the different colored vinyls. Yeah, the, the, I was going to say this. This I have the, the black vinyl, but uh, Poetry of Fire also came on colored i'm looking like now to see reddish um, splattery it says, yeah it says according to discogs it's pink but there's no uh, picture so yeah i have one of those somewhere i was just gonna say that's miles davis on the on side b right on the labels oh is it i don't know oh on the vinyl yeah show me a picture 
Here you go. Hold I'll, on. I'll show it. You got it, Greg? I got it on my phone. Oh, yeah. Totally. Okay, well, so those, both tracks were miles. Okay. According to the uh, Rev yeah, yeah. Classic TXT compiled by Kevin Finn, there's only four test press of Poetry of Fire. First press was 2006 copies of black vinyl and then 307 copies of salmon. Uh, ah, yes. Salmon colored vinyl. Yeah. Uh, that maybe yeah, a, ba- a bear red. caught it. Get it? Bear catching fish. <laughs> Ice burn engine kid. <laughs> uh, yes. Love it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, me, me like a prof comic. Like I was just showing them earlier. See, yes, there's the bear, the bear I, catching I just, fish. I just got this copy of bear catching fish. So Great. we did it just, I did it literally just for that joke. Hav and I planned it. Well, we one of the, I would say one of our ideas was with this cover, it's like you could fold it and then you have like, if you wanted this rich one or this rich. Oh, I see it. Or you could have, you know, the photo. So that's cool. It, it was yeah, I like that. we'll make this little thing that you can fold and it can, you can interpret it your own way. Cause we were kind of on the fence. Like, do we use Rich's thing or do we want to use this thing? So oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. The furnace picture made me think of, uh, the creepy furnace in Home Alone. In the first <laughs> Home Alone movie, you know, he's real scared of the furnace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's all I got as far as furnaces. That that's my furnace knowledge. <laughs> we can talk we can tie it to Eric Astor's record company. Well, speaking yeah, that's of right. speaking of furnaces, should we kick hot tracks? <laughs> yes. Ew. Good work. Good work. I'm just going to go ahead and jump in there and say that my hot track on this is the side B live version of Poem of Fire because I really enjoyed it's funny because I was listening to the whole thing on cassette the other day as I was doing some work on the computer and my wife comes into the office and she's like, Oh, you're like on a big jazz kick lately, huh? You know, I've been listening to like uh, some miles Davis and some Thelonious monk in the house. And so I'm like, this is actually Iceburn," And she's like the band on rev. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, Hmm. All right, cool. So it's, like, it's cool that you, you can get all of those on here. But for myself, I really like, as I was saying before, the improvis- improvisational live aspect of the Poem of Fire track. That's my hot track on this album. Have you been listening to Mahavishnu Orchestra? I have not yet? ventured into that. Uh, I feel like that's a path. It, once I go down, there's no turning back. I think you'll dig it. Honestly, I, I'm sure that I will. And that's, that's what I'm afraid of is that I, I, I won't be able to come back to quote unquote normal music yeah. after that. I'll just get all spacey, start licking toads and maybe buy a sitar <laughs> and all kinds of weird stuff. You know that was on the next record. <laughs> <laughs> on Evolution. i'm excited uh, that that'll be a fun one too that's because that's a monster of a of a record a big record yeah we, but, were, um, work, we were working on it at, at the time with chubba i don't know he doesn't really remember it but <laughs> we definitely started that like and part of it goes into uh right of spring like we talked about there's that revolution part so anyway we'll save that for next That'll be a teaser for next time. Yeah, I'm ex- that'll be a cool one. That's Rev 49, I believe. Okay. Like we were saying earlier. So um, I'm going to jump in too and say, 
you know, as far as just the actual vinyl, I love Poem of Fire, but I'm going to uh, piggyback off Hav and say, because the main way I would listen would be through the digital medium instead of, you know, pulling out the record, unfortunately, just because in this fast-paced world we live in, that's how we listen to most things. The the live uh, Poem of Fire is where it's at. Same reason Hobbs, because it's just like, it just has this loose, improvisational, fun, but still heavy feel to it. Um, it's it's just a, it's a great version of the song. I love it. And of course, being a Black Sabbath fan, those little the Black Sabbath jams in it are sick. I'm glad it doesn't annoy you that we don't play it exactly like Sabbath. So, nah. <laughs> I was trying to remember the words on half of it. Poisoning the brainwash minds. <laughs> yeah, but that's what that's what makes it cool too. Like you said, it's just because it does it to me. It just sounds like you guys are playing, and someone kind of came up on that hey i can play the sabbath riff and you all just do it and uh it works and that was recorded by our buddy spanky um who lived in uh that same crazy house with us for a bit um and he was in some cool bands um i think he might have had something on rev uh or maybe not but uh spanky van dyke um he kind of moved to New York same time around when Jeremy did. Um, but they were buddies and did stuff together. That was pretty cool too. So there's a whole side world there. Um, was Jay Majesty? Was that? I was just looking. He. It looks like he was in the band Jay Majesty, mm. um, who had records on. This is why you got to love Discogs. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. had records on some records. So okay. that is sort of a rev That's connection because it's yeah. Walter and Sam and uh, Matt Pincus. And then he was also in a band called, um, oh goodness, where did it go? I was just, uh, Versus Antelope. And that had Chris Daly, Rev alumni. He was in Texas is the Reason. Yeah. Um, and, uh, see so, yeah. They had a rec- They were on Arctic Rodeo, who oh, we, did a, we did an episode on New Rising Suns, which had Drew from you know Bold and into another, and Garrett from Texas is the reason. So, there we go. We kept it. Bring it home. Tied it in a bow. Yeah, Jason or no? no. We'll, we'll save. Should we save Jason? Save me. We'll, we'll yeah. get to the band. Chuba, you have a hot track on this uh, poetry of fire record. Oh man, um, I don't know if I do. I mean, I, I honestly, I like how all the jams turned out. Um, like maybe in in Palm of Fire, not the not the live one, but the other one we recorded. Um, things kind of go crazy, and Cash just keeps keeps the same baseline going, and uh, we finally come back around. Um, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. <laughs> uh, I'll let Jen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I love that track. And the, co- the cool thing about that one was the distortion on the sax at the beginning. 
Um, and he had this little effects thing. I don't know. If, I think we didn't use that. I, when I talked to Greg, he remembers like putting a tube screamer on it. So at that beginning, when you hear the sax and it almost sounds like a guitar, um, super cool. I love that. Um, yeah. and, um, we've had him play live with us a few times and that always turns out really cool. Um, but what stones is pretty killer. I really liked what we did with that. Um, what else is on there? Oh, the blues. That one's interesting to me. We took Miles Davis's all blues and, um, it was normally in a Mixolydian. He was kind of doing a modal thing at, at the time. I mean, that's where modal jazz basically came from. So you're doing like, so what was in Dorian mode. And then uh, this was kind of an exploration of Mixolydian, but we took it and did this funky octatonic scale. So it's it's a pattern of a half step and then a whole step, then a half step, then a whole step. And then it repeats, you know, once all the way through. Um, and I kind of found out that, you know, the basic melody and um, backup vamp on all blues, all those notes are in that scale. And and so we just kind of gave it this weird, turned it on its head a little bit with that or added some darker um, stuff in there. And uh, I don't know if you can, it's probably in a different key as well, but um, I really like in that when it breaks down to um, it's like the dun, but dun dun dun, dun 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 dun, gets all heavy down there. But <laughs> I'll, I'll say Discolor is my favorite though. That was just a really cool magical performance that got captured. Um, it was at this weird art barn and they asked us to play this art show and they didn't know what the hell they were going to get. And we'd been working on that song. So, um, yeah, a lot of cool, fun stuff come, came out of that. And that would be Greg Anderson's hot track too. If he yeah. was on here. Yeah. He's yeah. told me that. <laughs> so several times and we, yeah, the new versions are pretty cool. Like more raw, um, so it'll be good to revisit, get that out there. That's going to be cool to hear. Yeah. It's exciting news. Well, guys, thank you so much. Uh, I, <coughs> oh. <coughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Is my hot track not good enough? <laughs> what do you got? Hoff, cut that. No, you don't. Have to <laughs> no, don't cut that off. No, Stones. Yeah. It's sick. It has this cool, as someone that's not, you know, I have jazz artists that I listen to mainly John Coltrane, but it's got this, uh, it's got this cool fun house sax part. It reminds me of, you know, on fun house where he says blah, and it's got like the sax picks up from Iggy and the Stooges, but oh. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminded me uh, of that. Actually fun house was just credited to the Stooges. The Stooges. Thank you. I was going to correct myself. Cause you know, but, somebody's, <laughs> you know, somebody's going to be saying, I know. Uh, <laughs> actually <laughs> yeah but it's got that chunky guitar at the end and then the sax and then like the whispered vocals but i really it's as someone that likes vocals i love that this has like the vocals pretty present in the uh in the cp 
It's sick. Cool. Yeah. Just Would lots of read? riffs. Yeah, lots of riffs. Many riffs. Yeah. So if someone now, wanted to, if someone said, "Where do I start with Iceburn?" I would say, "Start with this one." I would say, say that too. Yeah. I've actually told people to start with the new one. Yeah, like, yeah. That's a good place. Yeah, yeah. Because I think the the new one, you know, again, on we've mentioned it, but it's on Southern Lord, it's still available. I actually saw a copy at uh, Bit of Bow to our patron Siren Records. I was there yesterday, and they have copies on clear still. If you want one on clear. Uh, hit them up, but um, it's like a perfect blend of like the fire and like that, you know, Hephaestus, but also still some of the later stuff. It's a good place to start. For sure. Just one man's opinion. Well, now, now you can kick it, Greg. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm too, I'm too emotionally scarred and embarrassed. Yeah, so well, can, okay. I'll do it. Well, <laughs> Gentry, and Chuba, thank you for joining us today. Gentry, we'll see you. It's actually going to be a, a few a few months before we talk to you again because all the, the way rate we're going, <laughs> the rate we're going, and we got it's like fourteen releases from now. But uh, a couple years, yeah, a couple years. Yeah. Maybe we'll have a, the uh, Iceburn uh, Collective where it went going away party for. Uh, celebrating you for all of your service to us. So yeah. thank you so much. Although I said I, I want to do probably offshoots on uh because you guys did do the stuff through Rev with the Iceburn Records, uh the polar bear um and the um, Power Lion. Lion, yeah, Power Lion. So yeah. Maybe that won't be the end. Yeah. But never say never. Um, yeah. So thanks guys. <laughs> yeah guys. Yeah. Thank and you. um thanks, Chubba sir. was Chubba was nice to meet. Uh, you know, after hearing about you a lot. Engine Kid shirt's pretty cool, even though I don't like pocket print very much. No? No. What, do you just think, it's kind of boring? I'll talk about it as soon as Jason gets here. Okay. Um, the Far Side Crew Neck's cool, though. The embroidered Far Side Crew Neck? No. You tell me you wouldn't fuck with that? If, some, if, I'm, if, I, if I said, Hob, this doesn't fit, I'm sending it to you. You wouldn't you wouldn't wear that shirt. It depends you know you would. Depends how comfortable it is. Okay, I forget what it's printed on. What up? Here's, here's my thing. We're going. I'm, we're just going right now, Jason. Welcome. Okay. Oh shit! Listen, I, I first of all, I don't like pocket print shirts. Oh yeah. I uh, I think it's a waste of um. Re- it's, a waste, uh, it's a waste of material, basically. Retail. Might as well just be wearing a blank shirt. <laughs> so I had this discussion with our 
with a mutual friend who runs a uh, shirt brand, the Boot Foundation. And he makes shirts with an actual pocket. And then it has a pocket print. I get that. That's okay. There's a pocket. But if it's just a, a blank t-shirt with a pocket print there, I don't, I don't fuck with it. Now, these Revelation Records, long sleeves and crew necks, where it just had the band name embroidered on the pocket. And this is like, we're talking 1994, 95. Yeah. Era. I mean, yeah. there's Engine Kid. There was Into Another. There was Farside. These are the ones that I remember the most. The Into Another one, it's okay. It's got an Into Another logo embroidered. And then on the back, shoulder in between the shoulder blades has the star, right? If, and if, I'm, if I remember correctly, it was like a navy blue crew neck with purple embroidery, purple stitching. Like, Jason probably has like three of them. Yo, that's pretty cool. And that's not too far off from like modern streetwear. But like today, if I'm going to spend $100 on a vintage shirt, it's not going to be a embroidered engine kid long sleeve. I, I think that that's... He's not charging 100 What's he charging, 20 That was a fair price, 30 yeah, I think I'm, that's I would, Someone's listening, that's and they're going to snap that up right now. Hey, we're we're for we're me. Doing, that's that's we're not doing a the Lord's work. I'm yeah, personally and you're an engine kid fan, and I'm an engine kid fuck boy. Yeah, you Actually, are. I'm not an. In, I'm a four wheels following fuck boy. I'm an engine. Uh, kid but fan. so you're telling me that you that just even just the fact that it's this vintage or you would you would buy an engine kid shirt for thirty dollars, just not that particular design. I, I mean, it depends what what shirt. Thirty dollars is pretty normal for a shirt these days. Let's let's be real because of there's a lot of factors. Uh, COVID created a labor shortage. Um, hurt, like natural disasters affected manufacturing plants. The price of shipping containers has gone way up. So it's creating uh, cost, driving the cost up. It's, uh, I mean, back in my day, you know, in the early 2000s, when we used to print t-shirts for our band, it was $3.50 a shirt. And now it's uh, over $10 a shirt to print. And that's fucking wild. The, the cost of something went up over 300% in like 15 years or something like that. Like that's a huge increase, but it's because of all of these things. So anyway, I, I don't really enjoy, I, I won't spend $100 on a shirt, not period. Same. Like I, I, that's just not my game. Um, Homer, Homer meme into the bushes. Yeah, we know that Jason is on a different <laughs> level than us. I would rather pay $25 for a bootleg version of it of varying quality. Um, but See, anyway. I would rather find like a steep, like to me, 30 bucks for that shirt is, is a good deal. So if you if found that it, in your size, if it, if it was your size for that engine kid embroidered shirt, you would purchase it. Yeah, I mean, I'm debating it now. It's 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 an XL, but the problem is it's probably like a, a 1994 XL, right? Before before the world got so fat, um, so it was uh, it's probably fits more like a large, mm -hmm. and with long sleeves, especially, you, you want to have it 
bigger. You don't want to have you don't want to have them run small. I I, I mean I, I I started buying like I I normally wear large. I could squeeze into a medium depending on the brand, but I actually really love wearing like an extra large crew neck. Yeah. Um, or even sometimes a hoodie, just because fuck it's comfortable. And, yeah. So that's so uh, that's fashion. that's literally the only reason that I haven't smashed that buy button for the engine kid. Uh-huh. But hopefully, maybe you know, because of the box set, they'll maybe they'll make some shirts, and uh, they they do nice shirts. I'm actually wearing a Southern Lord shirt now for the, for this occasion, um, and it's, it's a nice comfy shirt. So. Mm-hmm. This this goat snake tea because you know I'm a you know I'm a scream fuck so, boy. So. so that shirt you have a jean jacket over that, or it's, it gets a little cooler. You throw on a light jacket, it's gonna look good. And you, have, see, you have a goat snake pocket print. It looks like you're wearing a, bo- a plain t shirt. You, you're yep. just gonna be wearing so a black shirt. My thing with pocket print is I'm also not a fan. If I'm mm-hmm. being honest, I'm putting it out there. Mm-hmm. Do I own shirts with pocket print? Absolutely. Sure, I do now, too. The ice burn one that, that Southern Lord did. That I like one does that look good. Yeah. because it has the big back design. But for the most part, as someone who, yeah, in the colder weather, I layer. So like if I'm putting like a flannel or a plaid shirt over it and it's pocket print. And also like if I'm not layering, it's like I don't need anyone looking at my man boob you know what i'm saying like like that's like i don't need to call any attention to this area like at least if it's a print like it's like a the full print like yeah this this goat snake it's got the gold you know kind of the gold ink and it covers the front of the shirt gold i like that yeah yeah so anyway this what about this in the center i don't even know what the name of that is you know in the 90s they kind of yeah i actually on the center um my dude uh, Ekaraj recently gave me a vintage Ignite shirt and okay. it has probably like a four inch box of like the Ignite logo, maybe with a match on it and something. And it's like dead center oh, of yeah. the chest. And I'm I, like, and I, I don't really, I, had an, I, I don't had mind Ignite, it. I like this. I had an Ignite. My first Ignite shirt was for, it was uh past our means era. So uh-huh. this was a rev shirt. Uh-huh. And it was pocket print. Now that I think about it, it was a forest green tea, and it said ignite, and it had an eye. And I remember everyone be like, "I ignite." I don't know why they put the eye. Maybe a little nod to Blood Days. You know, I ignite the killing flame. Um, and then the back had a live shot. Um, that's all I got. Yeah, I mean, so it's <laughs> kind of a formula for hardcore shirts, right? It's like band logo on front. Live shot with text on the back. That's like yeah. classic, um, whatever. Is yeah. there that goat snake shirt that you're wearing right now? And Jason, that black flag shirt that you're wearing right now. Is there anything on the back of either of those shirts? No. Nothing. See, and I'm wearing a Merzbo shirt today that has the logo, the album cover, and then the album title. That's enough for me. I don't really like back print is cool, but also if it was just the Mersbo logo on the front and nothing on the back. I also probably wouldn't get down with that. Like mm. I, I'm a I, more... I think you, you and I actually see eye to eye on that. I would, yeah. I would take full front print like this goat snake. Yes. Great full, example. Full, it's got the... And uh, normal printing size right now is around 
12 inches by 15 inches. That's quote unquote normal screen size. Of course, there's okay. a little bit of leeway. If you have a bigger shirt, you can go up to 15 inches, but you also have to worry about how, how much fabric you have to print on. Um, and then also something that I was taught by Dwid Hellion is that the logo should be three fingers from the bottom of the ring yeah. right here. So if it's any lower than that, it might, it might be a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit iffy right You know, there. I've gotten some that are lower than that and it does not look good. Mm-hmm. It, has, that's, that's it good happens though. Yeah. So but yeah, like, um, I, uh, I all too just prefer like a nice big on the front. If there's stuff on the back then as well, mm-hmm. awesome. But if not like this, like Jason said, you wear a jean jacket over this, you wear a, plaid shirt mm-hmm. yeah good and at this point yeah. if people haven't turned it off yet <laughs> um why don't we so you mentioned hav yeah uh well why don't we why don't we do, do we talk a little bit about the this interview yeah let's talk about it whatever yeah. um I, I said gentry man whenever he talks i'm like looking shit up yeah, because you know, like they they take us to school musically. You, you know what Gentry does and Iceburn does? They leave a lot of and you like this stuff, Greg. Easter eggs for you. Agreed. A ton. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And it's a lot of stuff to like. Oh, I'm going to check out this author or this. Well, there's um, that, but there's also the fact that he was like even talking about the CD cover where he's like, you could bend this different ways and get different covers in your CD tray. So. They're talking about like the whole package, the whole experience, like Spotify and streaming, of course, wasn't an option when this came out, but that's probably their, would be their least preferred way of you, um, you know, taking in their music because it's not the full experience. And, you know, I've seen people echo this experience a lot. Um, so not to get too far into the woods here, but we're all familiar with the horseshoe. Oh, the fuck you horseshoe. Yes. At hardcore shows. Yeah. I saw it last night. Yeah. I think that the horseshoe was caused by streaming music. And I think that it was caused by streaming music because it got people to stop reading lyrics and stop participating in the interaction up front with the band. Because there's always been stage divers. There's always been an element of danger if you're going to be right up front. But when I was young, and I'm talking about 94, 96, 98, 2000, you could stage dive or be up front and sing along. And there's like rows of people deep to do that to. And now you're lucky if there's 10 people in front of the stage. Everybody wants to mosh, but there's also the the fact that you're not reading the lyrics along while you're sitting on your bed, listening to this band. I can see that. But do you think, but do you also think that a lot of it, like when I see stuff about the horseshoe or whatever, I see it more with those bands that have that like heavy where you're going to have, three guys running back yeah. and forth crowd killing. You're not going to see a fuck you horseshoe at a turnstile show. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You're not yeah, going to sure. see, you're not going to see a fuck you horseshoe. Well, at like a chain, like if you go to see change, you uh-huh. know, um, that's going to be people that probably know the words, but I do see what you mean because 
I can sing every word of like Gorilla Biscuits because I sat with this Start Today CD and read the lyrics while I... Right, and you listened to the entire album and you didn't just listen to a song that came up on your Spotify shuffle or YouTube shuffle or whatever. You sat down with these albums and I just am not... This could just be me being out of touch, but I'm not sure that people are experiencing records the same way anymore, whether it be through CD, vinyl, cassette, listening to all of side A, listening to the whole thing, like putting a CD in and listening to the whole thing. I don't know that people and people are experiencing. And for myself, I mostly consume music through cassettes and my iPod. And both of those things force me to listen to at least one side of an album, if not a whole album. I don't listen to Spotify in my car anymore because I'm, I am I don't want to listen to a playlist. I want to listen to uh, the whole record or at least, you know, part of it. I do this. I, I, was, I was talking just yesterday. I sent somebody a picture of I was in my car and I had a CD, which I, you know, I'd originally sold all my CDs. And now, much like you have, I like if I find them at, the record store in the used bin and they're a couple bucks, throw them in the car. And it does, it forces me to one, not be fiddling around my phone while I'm driving. Sure. Um, because now I'm like, you know, just want to pay attention, you know, if you have children or whatever in the car and two, it sounds better. Like that's the thing. The CDs sound better than the streaming. It's just, they do, they sound better. Um, and three is because I can kind of leave it in there for a couple days. And as I'm driving around, I listen and it starts over and, um, you know, you, you, you kind of absorb it like we did in the old days, even though I'm not driving and reading lyrics while I'm driving, you kind of like, you hear it more than just in passing. Whereas I think with Spotify, you're like, Oh, it's Friday. These new records came out. You listen to each one once if you're like me and they go, oh, this is cool. And then maybe you don't even go back to it. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's. I think the collectability aspect also and the, you know, I've actually had fun getting these Iceburn and into another albums on cassette and popping it in and listening to the whole thing, you know, it's, it's allowed me to experience them kind of as they were intended Yeah, in a way. It's fun to do them for the first time as well. Like, and it, it's, you know, it's hard to do because for me, where my record player and stereo is at, I can't just put it on at any given time. Yeah. But like when I, you know, to tie it back to ice burn, when I got the new ice burn, it wasn't up on streaming yet because it arrived a few days early. So yeah. I was able to actually hear it for the first time putting on the record. And that was cool. And then, you know, that Mahavishnu orchestra album, um, I was like, you know what? I'm I, When I got that record at the store, I maybe mentioned last time, I put it on the turntable sure. as my first listen instead sure. of Spotify. And it was, it was cool like that. So, you know, um, it's cool that we have Gentry to kind of uh, as an influencer of jazz um, these days. I've always been interested in jazz 
but it's such a daunting genre to like, where do I start? Like if you look at Miles Davis or John Coltrane and you're like, Oh, I would like to buy a John Coltrane album. Which one do I buy? Like you it's really like need to have the best a, of John Coltrane. A, a, well, but what no. if you want to buy something on vinyl? <laughs> like what, no, what's I, the best album? I, I had a copy of the best of John Coltrane and I actually played that shit all the time when I was mm-hmm. in college. So uh-huh. I love that one. Yeah. I've, I had friends along the way, especially in the days of cassette making, um, who would make me, uh, I had a good friend make me a Chet Baker, you know, dubbed cassette. And I had a Thelonious Monk. Um, and uh, there was a, another, cr- like kind of the crazier jazz, not like the bebop necessarily, but the really like scronky, like, you know, uh, wild stuff. And then the, I don't even know what the screamo band swing kids remember. Oh yeah. So three, one G yeah. The three, one G. So that seven inch starts out with some jazz, but there's a compilation, a food, not bombs compilation that has the first song on the seven inch, but it has an extended jazz intro with like even crazier jazz uh, saxophone. And I always thought that was so fucking interesting, man, how it's like, and then they're like, oh, the peanuts teacher. Yeah. And then Jose uh, Palafox comes in with the, the, the jazz. And then it goes, Eric Allen uh, comes in with the guitar. And then it just fucking blasts into this crazy, like, spastic screamo song. And I always thought that was so fucking cool. And I know you guys topically for our group chat this week there's another record that has elements of jazz that you guys both appreciate yeah i was gonna say right refused shape of punk to come come. which again you know that took from uh a bunch of different things and created something that i think is cool but maybe we'll talk about that another time what i wanted to mention because we I, i feel like sometimes we do these fun either or polls sure i thought of and you mentioning swing kids made me think of something i saw on true till death uh instagram okay oh god those are man those are have been some really hard choices so here's one for me yo the outspoken unbroken did you guys vote no so not to me that's like do you want a burrito or a taco i'm gonna be like yes (laughs) <laughs> right at the same meal even like i want both because they both fill different uh cups for me outspoken i was a very important live band for me very early on i was at their last show i was at like all of their reunion shows they were so 93 and 94 they were I thought they were huge. And I was like, there's no way I could be ever be in a band that's this good and this big. And their music was so meaningful from the survival seven inch would talk, which talks about animal rights and the survival seven inch actually might be my favorite outspoken record. Not so oddly, if you know me at all, a light in the dark, great album, the current great stuff, the fucking embrace cover, like just so many, so many hits, right? And so, so many topics that needed to be covered from 
uh, gay rights, animal rights, human rights, just being emotional. But then you got Unbroken, which is just musically so influential, thematically turned so many people onto the Smiths and uh, maybe some industrial stuff. And, but then towards the end of their, when they were an actual band, they weren't just like greaser boys anymore. You know, you had um, different kind of looks in the band going on and like musically very, very, I almost feel like it's not an unfair choice between unbroken and outspoken because musically they are quite different. You mean it is an unfair choice? Yes, it's an unfair choice. It's, well, it's, you know, we, there's a term actually uh, for what you're describing. Uh, it's called a fucking fence walker. Pick ooh. one. <laughs> mm, I don't think that's a fence walker. <laughs> I think it's someone who knows more about music than most people and understands the distinction. No, just kidding. I think, I, I, man, I, me personally, uh, I get, I get it. I don't have so for me, and this is an addition. I outspoken. I had the records. Um, I they didn't connect with me like unbroken. For me, it was like the and and I think outspoken's cool. But for me, when I voted on that little poll and I double tapped the the heart, uh, unbroken all the way. Yeah. But the thing with unbroken is for me like. Ritual's cool. I never listen to it. It's for me. It's like love life, love, life, love, regret, and the the seven inches. Mm-hmm. I think ritual like kind of hints at what they were gonna uh, become. But the one that the one that knocked my socks off was um, hearing life, love, regret. Yes, for the first time, and uh, just to me. I don't know, man. I just, I can, I just connect with it so much. The, and the, those seven inches, like, I love how they did the seven inches and then they, um, so kind of changed up their sound a little bit. Yes. So a little I less love, metallic. I love and fall on proverb. Ken Olden, I, I think recorded. I, I don't like circus 77. I don't like oh. those. I don't like those songs, which what? I know. I know I that's, that's a very unpopular opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, that's like, I think it, that, the that's and, one of those what ifs to me where you're like, what if they fucking did a full length? No, I've never like liked that. those songs. I, I, lo- I love and fall on proverb. And I think those two seven inches sound so different to me. And I don't know if, okay, so all of this for me, I was experiencing in real time right in front of my face, the, the release of the current seven inch, the release of and fall on proverb, the release of, uh, circa seven. Yes. So I saw all of these things and I saw things changing and it could be that I was just, when that record came out, I was already on to like heavier and more extreme music, uh, disembodied overcast integrity, uh, in, in, you know, integrity from those who fear tomorrow to seasons in the size of days and beyond it gets a lot darker and it gets a lot weirder. And I think maybe I was already starting to kind of drift off in so that like direction. So like that kind of like rock, I don't want to say rock 
like the unbroken last seven inch, the circus yes. 77. It's not like it sounds rock, like Bon Jovi or something, no. but it's I know got what you're more talking like, about. it's got that San got Diego. Like, I thought it had more of like, you know, yeah. Like a uh, drive, like Jehu ish type. Of yeah. I love vibe. it, man. Driving yeah. kind of, I just, it's, I've I'm amazed never, you don't like it. It's, it's just never, so, in, it's, it's never so intense. I don't see, I don't think it is to me that circus 77, seven inch was a little bit too slow. And it was not as uh, frantic, especially when you compare it to the And Fall on Proverb record, right? Which has kind of like scissor beats and it's got some like more screaming and it, it just, uh, it's maybe it's a little too mature for me. Now, I understand its importance I understand its value. I understand that it has a huge following and most people will agree that that's their best record. And I can't honestly can't refute that. It's not my favorite record, um, but it just, it just, it, it never grabbed me. I just, I, I'm, I'm honestly, you say a lot of stuff where I'm like, oh, this is shocking, but whatever. But I'm genuinely just surprised. I would have thought, I would have thought they would, uh, you know, to quote Office Space, that you would celebrate the entire catalog. Mm. Um, I but I like kind of more of maybe the weirdo unbroken stuff too. Like I love You Won't Be Back, and I love Ritual and the Groundwork Split, which is they were tuned a little bit lower, and I, there was something weird with the recording. Does that have so, the Joy Division cover? The Groundwork Split. No, the, no? It, it has. Um, like it has different versions of the final expression and setup, which appear on the um, indecision records kind of just getting tougher yeah. to say the right and, things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the other things that I think maybe grabbed me about unbroken more is because uh, 1994 for me, I was 17 and that's the year that depression, like clinical depression actually really hit me. And I listened to Life, Love, Regret a lot. And again, I sat there on my bed with that cassette. I still have the cassette up here in my collection, that actual one, and read the lyrics, read the, the crazy thanks list and all that art and stuff, and like really took that album in and was like, fuck, this is dark. Yeah. This is... Yeah, dark. dude, that first song, I mean, that was what drew me in D4. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, D4 it, it, it's just me against myself. Yeah, and you know, uh, just how it builds up. That's so good. The final track on there that has the like, you know, kind of long jam sesh, and then at the end where he says depression, or uh, he says um, regret will always get you in the end, and that's the only peace of mind I have. Like, like hearing someone scream that into my headphones or into whatever. Like as a fucking kid, I'm like what the fuck is, what is this? Oh my God, these people are crazy. And I'm one of them. You know, it was, it was a wild experience. This is a fun talk. Yes, this is great. Great talk. See you out there. Um, And Unbroken, (laughs) great live band in 1994 and great live band, you know, whenever they, they last played. I think the last time they came out here, but I didn't get to see them. I think the, the very last show they played was at the new age, 30 what midwest okay. show in whatever city that was like did they play like, like omaha or something okay something something i didn't get to go um 
but they was that after that one that was at that big like church or something the the uh armenian cultural center yeah that show was fucking it looked unreal it looked right um mean season unbroken that was a great that's like how fest so many great friends (laughs) so many great fans huge huge show i i that show is maybe in my like top 10 20 looked, shows of all awesome. time it was really really good i think show. that was when i first kind of started becoming friendly with uh hector and i remember uh-huh. he was like posting footage uh of that and i was like oh man yeah this looks sick but um anyway speaking of bands yep half yep. and yes. you mentioned you mentioned uh Ekaraj, yes uh, so who, Aren't you in a, you got a new project going? Let's, let's, let's talk about it yeah, for so a little bit. I was jamming with these guys on and off trying to do a band called Goshala. Uh, this is a Sanskrit word, which means place of protection for cows. And it was a hardcore band made up of all Hare Krishna devotees. And it was like kind of me- metallic, hardcore. And it just, for whatever reason, it didn't click for me, um, kind of kept going back and forth. They tried out different singers. They tried this and that. They tried me. It just didn't work. Then they started writing music, different kind of music, got a different singer. And the bass player of the band, Manohar, hit me up and was like, hey, we're doing this new thing. You should check it out. I hit up Ekaraj, who's the other guitar player. And they said they wanted to call it Godhead. And eventually I came to play guitar in this band. If I had to give an elevator speech of what it sounds like, I would say it sounds like early 2000s Boston hardcore, meaning like Right Brigade. Um, Stop and think. Yeah, like uh, uh, I know that one of the the dudes in the band was into like killing the dream and the distance and stuff like that mixed with like 1986 youth of today, like thrashy hardcore punk songs. All of these songs are about a minute, a minute, simple, and a half like simple, simple guitar parts. Yes. It's, it's tuned. I think this is maybe the first band I've ever played in that's tuned to E standard. Every band I've played in has been heavy, tuned to drop C, drop B, drop D. I kind of actually had to almost relearn how to play guitar so that I could play power chords in E standard because I just wasn't used to it. But anyway, we're uh, we're we're set to record uh, our demo very soon. You can check us out. For right now, all we have is an Instagram with a couple of photos. It's Godhead hc or godhead hc but this is a hardcore band made up all of hari krishna devotees so i guess you could call us krishna core and this is something that we want to put as uh, it's a thing this is part of our music this is part of our image this is part of our life and um we sing about it we are gonna be about it um, if you, if we play shows, you're going to come up to our merch table and you're going to pick up a shirt and a Bhagavad Gita. And, you know, if you want to talk to us about this stuff, we're here. Uh, I think that 
when you think of Krishna core bands, of course, the two big ones that come up are Shelter and 108, which musically are like diametrically opposed to each other. Um, over the years, there's been other bands like Refuse to Fall, Prema, Safe. Um, there's a band from the Philippines called Not For Sale. Um, there's been a few... Isn't Manahar your bass player? Wasn't he in that? Manahar is in uh, Not For Sale. I don't... I, I can't think of another Krishna core band that sounds... Counterblast. Like, like this. Balaram Shakti's Counterblast. Counter and Counterblast, yes. And... Originally, um, the, the guitar player of Counterblast is one of my dear friends, Vikeshwar Pandit Das. And plays in the I, band Bent Blue, by the way. He, is, he, he plays, plays guitar in Bent band. Blue. His Carmi name is, or his given name is uh, Diego. And he plays in a great band called Bent Blue that has um, a demo on War Records and another record coming out and a split coming out on War Records. Great band. I highly suggest you check them out. A bit about War Wreckers. Uh, originally, I was going to, I wanted to do this hardcore band with Vikeshwar, um, this Krishna core band. I think that Counterblast, of course, because our other dear friend Balaram Shakti is in this band, they had a lot of groove in it, right? Um, kind of like uh, absolution-y, right? Um, and, but, but this band, Godhead, if you like two-stepping and singing along you will love this if if you were to say Hav what is one hardcore band that Godhead would love to play shows with and go on tour with I would tell you the band Change uh who we've okay. also talked about friend of the pod friggin Ram. love Change yeah that record is so fucking good and uh a modern classic I'll say I, I would almost say motivational because I listened to it and I was like, damn, I would love to make a record that sounds as good as this musically, sonically, hardcore-y. There's fucking reggae parts on yeah, it. There's, reggae parts sick. Dude, that, that record is so good. Yeah. So anyway, enough about me. Change, also, or uh, Godhead, the name of my band. I wish I was in a band called Change. <laughs> And um, maybe someday we could play with this other hardcore band called Count Me Out. Yes. And this other hardcore band called One Up, if we could do... Oh, my God, that would be a dream. <laughs> Where It Went Fest. We played with... Yes. We, used to, we used to play with Count Me Out uh, way back. And I would say, I would say we're, we're just like the poor man's version of Count Me Out. And I'll take that. Because, like, Donnie... <laughs> when Do Donnie Mutt that wrote the, our music, like, he definitely... It was... Like, you know, obviously Chain was a yeah. big thing for him. Um, but he, like, every time we recorded, we would bring the Count Me Out. Oh, uh, that rules. To, to mix down but, to and to be like, this is what we want to sound like. But Donnie booked the first true Count Me Out tour with Carry On. Yeah. He, and, he, and I think, and then when Carry On played Posse Numbers, Donnie played bass for yeah, them. Yeah, he did. Do you remember that? Yeah, um, that man, set what was a great awesome. time. Yeah. So, um, any more any more bit of bows, Jay? I do have one. I forgot. Just a personal one. Okay. No, I was going to say I'm team unbroken, but. Oh, okay. I'm surprised. Kind of, I because I, I know surprises. you're a big outspoken guy. Yo, outspoken is so. They were so awesome live to see them in like the early '90s. The live shows that I saw in DC. Yeah. So I saw them twice, and 
the, first of all, it was the first singer I ever saw use a cordless mic. Yes. He carried and it in a clear chopper. I think mine was Toby. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But I, it was so awesome seeing everyone just lose their shit to outspoken. But yes, and, and the lineup of that show was John Coyle, Mike Hartsfield on, on, on guitar, Jay Hansel and Travis Guichard on bass and other guitar who also were in Mean Season together. Okay. I never saw Mean Season, but I actually really liked Mean Season a lot when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But they their live shows were insane. Yes. People would lose their shit. But... Yes. What I've always loved about hardcore, what I've always loved about music is stuff that speaks to me directly. And when I saw the Life, Love, Regret layout, and much like you said, when I was reading through it, it really connected with me. And being at my age now and having someone like Rob Moran support the podcast, Mm -hmm. that's more important to me than if I like the music of a band better. Does that make sense? Yeah, and like... So two things I wanted to add. One is that I didn't see either band live. Okay. So record-wise, I think Outspoken, I think it's pretty well documented. They were kind of plagued with not great recording. Yeah, that 12-inch um, does not sound good. Yeah, everyone, yeah, says, that, everyone says that LP sucks, but I remember – well, I, didn't I don't know if I, 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 don't, I don't hear people say it sucks. I hear people yeah. say the recording is, is bad, whereas Unbroken – I think that had better recordings. So that could be one of the reasons why it informs me. Cause I'm, I'm coming at it just from a strictly just listening to the records. I didn't, I didn't see either. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is yes, Rob, you know, when, when over my dead body, when I first saw them play at CBGB and met Rob, I felt like I was meeting like, you know, Paul Stanley from Kiss, you know what I mean? Like, like it was like a big, it was like a big deal because I loved Unbroken, um, and he's just yeah to have him listen to the yeah. pod and support, um, it means a lot. It, you know, it's that's what I love about hardcore. That yeah. to me, that's the best part. It's better than you know, it's almost better than the music is these but, friendships of exactly. meeting someone twenty years ago that's still like, hey man, I'm into what you're doing. Like that's cool. Yeah, so lyrically, Unbroken connected with me more. So I will always say, to me, they're the better band. And then you have something like that added to it. They're forever going to be right. remembered by, like, you know, that's one of the first bands I loved. And, like, it's cool that someone still supports us now. And I don't I don't personally know Mike Hartsfield, um, but he, his band, uh, that band Free Will. Yep. Uh, they oh, got some that's right. New songs out that are really good. Like, I got to check that out. I played a in a band before. I played in a band briefly with Mike Hartsfield. Great dude. I've never um, heard a bad thing about the guy. Like I would yeah. love to meet him. Uh, seems like a nice dude. Um, but um, and also Rob Moran, of course, and his wife Kim. Heartwork Coffee, which we've talked about on the pod. If you're ever in San Diego, that's when I go to San Diego. I'm not kidding you. That's the first stop I always make. Me and I Jason. Touch, I touch down. I grab Next a summer, fucking, Jay. I grab a fucking latte. Hobbs yes. Volkswagen van. Yes. <laughs> We're gonna be drinking iced coffee from hard work. Man. Uh, and and they do, ice burn. they just came out either yesterday or today with a Russian circles bag of coffee. You know, and they've done lots of other collaborations. They do um, fundraisers, they do all kinds of stuff. So if you're into coffee like we are and there's so many coffee companies to support it's hard to 
you know, know where to throw your money around, but Essex coffee roasters, Heartwork coffee bar, slow bloom coffee, you know, these are some of the, the names that, that are really important. And Heartworks merch is fucking top notch. Yes. We uh, love you, Rob. Yes, Rob. Love you, friend of the pod. Yeah, miss you. Rob. I remember too when One Up played San Diego and uh he came out to see us at, at Che Cafe and that mm, nice. I mean I'll look, it was like twenty years ago and I still remember it was just Yeah, and cool, Rob but. Rob worked at Rev also yeah. and um we gotta some, talk to we gotta we I gotta knew that but I forgot here. that yeah we yeah. gotta talk so, to him one of these um, days. I want to just give a bit about this speaks to the the power of the pod. The power. Okay. Just the harnessing power. the power is several episodes back, we were mentioning some things we were looking for. And I mentioned that I've gone down this rabbit hole that I truly can't get out of. I'm deep, boys. Deep. Mahavishnu Orchestra. No, not Mahavishnu Orchestra. Sloan. Oh, yeah. And I mentioned their vinyl's hard to find. Okay. And through our friend True Prey, um, he connected me with Nick Vance. He uh, played in the band Deep Sleep, great band. And he uh, had some Sloan records and we worked out a deal. Yeah. And um, I'm like over the moon happy about it because they're, they're definitely hard to find. And um, it made my year so far. So, yo, I know Nick. He's awesome. And, he, yeah. and Deep Sleep's awesome. And, if you're in, ever in the Baltimore area, check out Celebrated Tony Summer yeah. Records. Check out Celebrated awesome Summer Records. Store. Haven't been there in a long time, but Tony, I know he listens to the pod. Uh, he's a fucking awesome guy. Yeah. And they also played together in Never Enough. That uh, one up, we played with them a bunch of times. Okay. Mm. Yo, Tony's um, got a sick t-shirt collection also. He does. Yeah, and I just he saw he posted, there's a picture, uh, Descendants played in Baltimore and Bill Stevenson went to the store uh, to the record store and, uh, there's pictures. And it's cool. So yeah, yeah, just the power of the pot. I was, I was, st- I didn't expect anything to come of it. And, uh, my Sloan collection is building nicely. And, um, I know the Sloan guys are into hardcore. So if they ever want to come and talk rev, kick it. Me. Kick it. <laughs> that's all I got, dude. All right. That's all I got too. So yeah. what's our next episode <sighs> the next episode <laughs> i i want to say i've got the pdf right in front of me but go ahead well let's say what the next release is sure you yeah. don't know if that's going to be the next episode jason kick it yeah the next release is the sense field self-titled uh-huh. sometimes called the buddha album uh-huh. okay the buddha album. um but- which is a compilation of their first Dem- demo self-release yeah, two yeah, demos. cdeps yeah. But there's we have some uh, twists and turns coming again, as always. But I promise you they're cool. And I wanted to just kind of remind everybody, like Hav mentioned with the where it went, um, where it went podcast.com. You can also sign up to be a patron. Really helps us out. Um, like we said, we put a lot of work into this a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of bonus content coming. We just put up um, about a week ago, a awesome conversation we had with Brian McTurnan uh, from Be Well, a friend of a friend of the pod. Didn't Brian um, record Threefold Misery? 
Brian recorded threefold. Did yeah, he recorded the, the masterpiece? Victor Carr said that is the only record he's ever played on where he is happy with mm. every aspect of it'd it. Be, it'd be really cool if Brian could somehow hear this conversation uh, that we're talking about his his genius, his recording I wish genius. We were recording. Hey. You know, speaking of, real quick before we end, I have been listening to a lot of Ashes recently. I'm an Ashes, dare I say I'm an Ashes fuckboy? And uh, I would like to publicly uh, give a special shout out, bit of bow to Vadim, who is a friend of the pod. And, um, you know, he, he wrote the Judge cover that comes at the end of our episodes if you've ever made it that far love love Um, that dude and he sent me well he sent me a really cool song but then also i was talking to him this week there's a compilation seven inch out there called the hamster seven inch and it has an ashes track that is not on the discography and also, I realized in listening to the Ashes 7 inch, there's a version of another song on the demo that is not on the Ashes discography. And this is the shit that really chaps my hide when a band has a full discography and not every song, uh, not every version of every song is on there because I want to fucking listen to those songs and I want to do it without going to YouTube. Yeah. So, yeah. What, can, what can we do Hav, about this in 2021? Hav, the Knowledge Bank wants to see if you can connect dots before we go. I want you, and maybe this would be easy for you, but maybe mm. not. I want you to connect the dots from ashes to the heart of Graham. Can you do it? Like the him logo? Yeah, to him. To him. Uh, did Matt Squire record him? He did. Okay, that was easy. He, he, he did. Yeah, that's what I figured. I said it was either going to be it was either going to be uh, really really easy or really difficult. What he, did he record? So he produced the album. It came out in 2010 uh, called Butterfly uh, Screamworks Love yeah. and Theory and Practice. I have to say about that record. At first, didn't really grab me. Love. I never. I haven't heard anything past Venus Doom, to be honest. Um, this so Venus Doom was like them with the longer songs kind of going yeah, a little even heavier. even like wings of a butterfly kind of lost me because oh, i love that song. it's it's a little bit too slick and hot topicy. Uh, i like i like my hymn to be a little bit uh dirtier like okay. um look for me love metal is their their zenith that's I my favorite as well fucking love that record still to this day uh, almost a uh, what do you, what do they call it? A guilty pleasure, almost. But also, you know, the three of us kind of grew up in an age where we were exposed. I personally was exposed to the the CKY2K um, video of just a bunch of these guys fucking around. You know, this was the the predecessor to Jackass, right? And they were huge him fans. And so, greatest love song, six six six, Razorblade Romance love metal it's a little bit uh a little bit soft maybe you know but love metal has some fucking riffs it's got some really heavy dark Deep shadows and riffs. brilliant highlights i think is underrated it is and to me 
it almost seemed like a B-sides record. Um, my you know who fav- loved him? You know who loved was one of the first people I knew that loved him? True Prey? No. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Andy Andy Norton from Praise. Oh, Yo. nice. Yeah. Yeah. Loves, um, lo- lo- they, they love him. If you can ever find it, this is the last bit of Shinfo I will leave you with. Him has a B-side from the love metal era called I've Crossed Oceans of Wine to Find You. And it's basically just Villa Vallo and an organ. And it's good. It's a phenomenal song. You ever hear the Bad Brains cover? It's on spot. Yeah, I didn't really. It's I, still I, alive. I can't really say. You know what? Uh, the best Bad Brains cover I've ever heard? Moby. Hit us. Moby. Really? Yes. What's he do? Cover it. There's a Bad Brains cover CD. I have it around here somewhere in my office, actually. It's oh, got God. like Moby. Ignite, VOD, Adamantium, Cave In, and um, um, fuck, uh, uh, I can't think nope. of it off the top of my head. But I'm you know, it's gonna... a great non-album track by him. And then, uh-huh. and then I'm done. Uh, and Love said no. You like that song? Um, it's okay. I, Solitary Man is also good That's on good there, cover. right? Yeah. Um. So. Oh, Moby cover of Bad Brains, Sailing On. He okay. slows it down. Oh, he makes it sound like a Moby song. This is not an advocation of Moby, even though I think Moby has hot tracks. I think <laughs> Moby actually has multiple hot albums, <laughs> but I am not endorsing Moby <laughs> in any way. Also, I love his restaurant, Little Pine, but I'm still also not endorsing Moby. Moby, if you hear this, know that I think you got some hot tracks. You do. Well, Matt Squire recorded Katy Perry. Yeah, like isn't hey, that's wild. So, absolute last piece of shit. That's folks. wild. I was telling someone the other day, Warp Tour 2008 on the same stage. I saw Katy Perry and the Germs. Yeah. How was the Germs? How was that? Uh, it was fun. Yeah, I mean, it was. I think okay. So in 2008, it was cool because okay. that was for me. That was kind of the internet wasn't what it was today. And right. and we we still had an, kind of an, uh, a bit of wonder at the world. And it's like, oh, what's this thing over here? This is cool. Whereas now yeah. everything's spoiled. You see behind the curtain of everything. But seeing Shane West do a actually pretty good Darby Crash impersonation and seeing mm. like Don Bowles and Lorna Doom up there on stage with smear with them too i don't yeah. remember i think oh so. was he not yeah. okay i don't remember to be honest okay um but yeah i worked warp tour that year with uh my for I, I did a booth for my friend to die for and so i got to go to a bunch of those shows for free and i was like who the fuck is Katy perry what the fuck is this doing on warp tour oh the germs playing cool and yeah. then anyway I don't know if, how the fuck we got here, but yeah, I we're here. We're That's here. That's how we roll, man. That's yeah. how we roll. And this is, if you've made it this far, thank you for listening to these three idiots ramble on about fucking God. Everything. What, everything. It's been a anything. pleasure. So anyway, thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. Bit it bow. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.
What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top-tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, G. Jason Head, Greg Jackson, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Maddie Cox, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Rob Moran, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. If you'd like to become a patron, help us out every month, please visit www.whereitwentpodcast.com. Like we said, you can also get a uh, complete Revelation Records discography uh, list, and there's other cool stuff. We'll see you next week. Bidipo.